What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministry Podcast. We're going to talk about tongues today, and I'm actually probably going to surprise most of you on what I believe the Bible says about tongues. Uh, the tongues is an issue. It's not something that we just be like, hey, what, what do we need to teach our congregation? Let's talk about tongues. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, that's not something that really naturally comes up. What, this is why I love that we as a church, we just walk through books in the Bible because it makes you talk about things that you wouldn't normally think about talking about. And I think tongues is, is a very important thing to talk about. Um, I also believe there are many denominations who are Christians who are going to heaven. But so many different denominations have so many different perspectives on the issue of tongues. I dare to say most of us in this room will have a differing view, until you listen to me, on tongues. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're going to walk out, but, but I hope today we're going to walk out all agreeing on the things that are essential. And that's really I believe in this first half of 14, this is kind of Paul's heart as well. I want us to be a church that's no more about what we're for than what we are against. I want us to be a church that we really talk about the important issues, right? The gospel. Um, but I believe tongues is a secondary issue, but I do believe it's worthy of talking about. Now, why we gather, there's always two reasons we gather together. Uh, one is for, I believe one could call education or information. We're gathering together, especially at our church. We're like, okay, we need to learn from the word. I want to walk away knowing something. And that is one of the things we definitely do here at this church. The other reason people come to church, and I believe it's right, is to experience God. Or some would say inspiration. You want to be inspired. You want to not just learn something in your head, but you want it to touch your heart. Every single church leans one way or the other, always. So for you, you may lean towards just tell me facts, tell me everything I need to know, give me bullet points, and I'm in. Others of you, it's like, just tell me one long story, and I want to cry at the end of it, right? Many churches who, are, who love, who are known for tongues, they are a church who's more about the experience, more about the emotional experience and experiencing God. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but I also know who we are. And we're, we do not lean that direction. If I were to tell you that we lean that direction, you would call me a liar, right? It's like, we're just so emotional. And he just pans to the crowd and we're just like, you know? <laughs> if there was like a motion sensor on, the lights would not turn on, you know? Because we're all, <laughs> uh, if there's a clap on, clap off, there would be no on and off because we don't do nothing. No, I, I want us to be more emotional. I want us to be more experiential, but you also have to recognize we're in Queen, like the area we're in, the demographic who we have, we just kind of naturally do that. So, so my encouragement before we dive into this, experience God the way God has wired you. Some of you are wired to be emotional, and I love it on your good days, right? I love when you come in, and I want you to be a part of this church. But I also love the fact that when you leave here, you have information to write down. Um, so tongues, a lot of you are thinking, why are we talking about tongues? You know, like what, what, is, what is tongues? So tongues literally means it's where you don't understand them. It's somebody, um, man, let me just give you my first experience of tongues, okay? I'm not talking about the first time I made out. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking, that's why I want to make sure people don't go that direction, even though none of you did until just now. Um, it was on my wedding day. Anyway, so, <laughs> speaking of tongues, I went to a church, and I loved, I, I loved this church. It was, it was incredible. Um, there were no white people. Well, I was one. So there was one white person there, 
and he was a tool. You know, and so I walked into this church. It was incredible, though. Their music, their worship. I literally believe I experienced God in an incredible way in that service. I loved it. There was dancing. I didn't dance, but I loved the dancing, you know, and I was thinking, I can, never mind, I can't do that, you know. But the preaching was good, but then it got weird. To me, it got weird. It was after the sermon, they, they, what shocked me as, a, as, you know, who I am, well, wait, we already sang five songs. We're singing 10 more? What? Do you realize it's already been an hour? You know, and so, uh, but then all of a sudden they started speaking in tongues and it made me nervous. Now, context, I was 14 years old. So I was in the most awkward stage of life anyways. And, and so I just remember people saying stuff and I did not understand them. And I was very confused. And I was looking at the screen and then looking back at their mouth. I'm like, they're not saying what's on the screen. You know, I literally didn't know what was going on. And, uh, and finally, my friend told me after, like, oh, no, no, yeah, they're just speaking in tongues. And so what they're doing is what they, the way they explained it is they're just praying to God in a, in, a, in a language that nobody knows, nobody else knows, and it's just between them and God. I'm like, oh, okay. And so that really kind of put like a heebie-jeebie thing on me. I was like, ooh, tongues are weird. Uh, and so I had to really, I've been battling that of not thinking that these things are kind of strange. But I believe in this text, I believe tongues are a gift that people can still receive today. There are some denominations that say this, this gift has ceased. I've also seen tongues in the context of overseas missionary work where there was one person who was an English white boy and then they were speaking to Mandarin-speaking Chinese and neither of them understood each other and out of nowhere, everyone understood what was going on because they spoke a language that both of them didn't necessarily speak but they heard the gospel message. Here's point number one. Here's tongues 101. I just want to get this out right away. What, are, what is tongues? Tongues is a spirit-led experience that must always be grounded in edification and evangelism. Notice that. It is, it is an experience. It's a very experiential thing. You don't kind of just, you don't do tongues and you're just, like, you know, like this is something very, this is an emotional experience, but it's spirit-led. That's very important. You will meet a lot of people who will not let the spirit lead them, but they want to look like they're spirit-led, and so they start making up words like bada Honda, shoulda bada Yamaha, and they think they're so special. Am I breathing wrong or something? I put it down. Move it up. All right. Um, so it's a spirit-led experience, but edification and evangelism must always be at the forefront. What is edification? Edification literally means to build you up, to, to strengthen you, to help you, mainly so that you can look more and more like Christ. I was speaking with a few people here today, and they're saying, when, when I pray to God in tongues, it's, it is an ex I'm groaning. There's words I can't express, but I'm getting closer and more intimate with Jesus Christ. That's edifying. Also used for evangelism, just like the story I just talked about with the missionary. It's like we don't know each other's languages, but God and the Holy Spirit is speaking through us so we can all hear. You have that in Acts chapter 2. Peter speaks in tongues, and there are over 150 dialects that are present. And because God was adamant about every single people group getting saved, he wanted to start it out when the Holy Spirit came down, where 150 different tribes of people heard this gospel message and then went back home and immediately the gospel started spreading. The only way that was possible, it, I've had an interpreter in Jerusalem and I had an interpreter in um, Malaysia. And it is so frustrating just trying to interpret to one language. It would take forever to make sure all 150 people 
different languages heard you. So the Holy Spirit's like, I got this. And they make sure everybody understands it at the same time. Now, here's the problem with Corinth, and we'll jump into 14. The church in Corinth loved the experience part, but they didn't give a rip about edification or evangelism. They wanted to come to God and they wanted to show off and they wanted to experience these great tongues, but they could care less if anybody else around them was impacted. They can care less if anybody else came in that didn't know about Jesus and they left still not knowing about Jesus. They didn't care. They wanted their own experience. See, Corinth, we've been talking about it the last few weeks. Corinth is like a New York City. Very, very, they're, they're hustling. Like, they would have on their Instagram, hashtag hustle. You know what I'm saying? You know those annoying people, even though they're like sitting on the couch, hashtag hustle. Like, shut up. Okay, but, but they, were, they were all, they, they were doers. They, they achieved things. They were popular. They were trending on Instagram. Like, these people in Corinth had wealth. They were really good at a lot of things that they did, but their main problem is everything for them was about self-help. They could care less about helping others. And Paul is saying, that is why you're miserable. There's so much joy in serving others. I don't want to rehash all the sermons I've been talking about. But really, these were a people who loved dreaming big dreams and going after them. And I love that. Paul here in this passage, he's saying, okay, that's great. But you need to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. So let's jump into it. Verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual, desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Here's a few words I want to really pick out, and then we'll keep going. Look at the first two words. Pursue love. You know why Paul says to pursue love? Pursue, I love this. The language here literally means work as hard as you can, keep it on the forefront, and always do it because you won't drift into love. It's something you have to wake up and do every single day intentionally because guess what? People are losers and they're frustrating and they will hurt you, right? It is hard to love people. That's what we've been learning in chapter 13. And Paul is saying, we have to, I have to remind you to love because it doesn't come easy. People are broken and our love is broken. And so people will stab you in the back and all sorts of things. Corinth's philosophy, just like ours, is I will love you and I will take care of you as long as you do not go behind my back and stab me. Yes, I mean, that is that not the, the mantra of our day? It sounds beautiful. Sounds like I got you, man, until you turn on me, right? But that is what they had, and that's what we have as well. And what we've been looking in chapter 13, mature love always pursues love. It's patient. It's kind. It never gives up, all that. I'm not going to re-preach that, but I want us to see. This is the context Paul is saying. Before we really dive into tongues, you have to see we must love them, and in order to love them, you have to be intentional about the way that you love. But here's point number two. And y'all are going to make fun of me, but I like this one. I'm going to stop. I told my wife, I'm going to stop prefacing my points as being stupid. But this one, here we go. Here's what every leader needs to know. We can impress or we can empower, but only one will go sour. You'll remember it. It's true. You can impress or you can empower, but only one of them will go sour. Paul is saying pursue love, and it's so cool that... Because guess what? Tongues is kind of impressive. Wow. 
I don't know what that guy said, but I think he now wants a Ford. You know, like, I don't know. But whatever it is, he's saying, that's so impressive. And that's what they would do. They would come together and see who is best at speaking eloquently in ways that people didn't understand. But he's saying, guys, the church is here to build up. In order for us to build up, we have to empower others. How many of us, when we gather together, we're actually, like, this is a crazy thought. When we come even on Sunday mornings, how are we thinking, how can I help somebody else today? That's, that, that's what Paul is saying. You're not coming here to impress. You're coming here to empower, and that's what lasts forever. Let's look at the three Greek words here. First one he says is strengthening. Strengthening here, and you have it in verse uh, da, 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 three. He says you need to use it for strengthening. Strengthening here is an architectural term, like an architect. It's literally building something up. He's referring to building a grand building. And when you strengthen somebody, you make sure it's foundational. So meaning when you encourage somebody, when you help them, you make sure they're foundationally good. You don't just give sweet nothings. You literally are there to add value to their life. That's key. How many of us, when we compliment people, it's because we want to add value to our life? Here's what that really means. I did it with my parenting this week. Let me tell you this. Faith, y'all need to pray for her. She's a sinner, okay? And she's not saved yet, okay? She's three. <sighs> now, I, because I love her and I want to strengthen her up, I had to tell her things that were kind of mean. I had to say things that hurt my feelings, and she had to go cry to her room. But because I want to strengthen her, I don't say things to bring me value. I'm telling her things to bring her value. It's actually really unloving to see somebody going in the wrong direction, and you're like, oh, but I love them. I don't want to tell them they're wrong. You actually don't love them then because they're on their way to an accident, but you're just letting them do it. You need Love is sacrificial, and you need to sacrifice that, that potential, uh, like, you know, you're gonna be, they're going to be mad at you for a season, but, but you love them more than that, and so you tell them what they need to hear. Here's the lie that people also think with strengthening. They think, if I empower them, they'll leave. And my answer to that is, good. They need to go and do other things. Like my parenting, I'm the sissy. Like my, my wife, she can't wait for kindergarten. I'm like, but, but Faith is so cute. Like, you know, that's my girl. What if she gets picked on? No. And so we're like boxing classes right now or whatever. But, but for me, we're always saying, we have to tell ourselves every day, we're raising her up to send her out. We're raising them up to send them out. We cannot wait till they move out because Disneyland tickets be way cheaper. You know, but we cannot wait. We have to know that. So we have to think, oh, but if I empower this disciple that I'm leading, then they won't need me anymore. Exactly. You don't need to be needed. Stop that. Oh, anyways, moving on. The next word we have here is encouragement. What I love about this, the Greek word here is paraklesis, which actually the same root word paraclete is where we get the Holy Spirit. In John 14, it uses that term. So literally, to be an encourager is to be like the Holy Spirit. You advocate, you counsel, you walk alongside to assist and support. How are you in your love and maturity when you, bringing it back to tongues, are you speaking tongues in a way? Is it actually helping walk alongside of people and support them, or is it self-serving? This is the thoughts we have to think. And I love this last word. It says consolation. Consolation, literally, here's the definition. It means to whisper in someone's ear to calm them down. I did not 
feel that when I saw that tongues experience, right? There was screaming involved. Now, again, I love that Paul is saying, look, so the church in Corinth is like, we speak in tongues. We're loud. Everybody hears us. We're impressive. You should hear how that guy talks, you know? But then, but Paul is saying, you know what's more powerful than that? You know what's more powerful than being so impressive? Whispering in someone's ear that you care for them and that you love them and you will always be there for them. A whisper. I'm done whispering. That's annoying. The whisper is more powerful than yelling on the rooftops. I think that's so cool. I think that's so encouraging. So he's saying, look, you can make a bigger difference in people's life, not by how big you are. It's actually just how caring and how behind the scenes you can be in caring for someone. But wow, let's keep going. I'm in trouble. It's, I got a lot to go through. Now, five through eight, he, he says, okay, he, 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 he makes illustrations. Just read it later. But he's saying with instruments, they, they need to produce sounds and need to be distinct. You have to understand them or else nothing is helpful. Verse nine, in the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None was, is without meaning. Therefore, I do not know the meaning of the language. I will, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. I love this. Saying you, it needs to be intelligible. Now, we're going to talk about tongues a little bit next week as well. I'm going to give a little more context to it. Now, does this say tongues are evil? Absolutely not. But it has a perfect, there's a situation to use it, and there's a way there needs to be an interpreter, and all these sorts of things. We're going to keep looking at that a little bit later. But he's saying what's more important is being intelligible, literally making the gospel plain to anybody who comes your way. Here's the third point. Woe to us when we make things complicated simply because we want to be complimented. That's the heart of it. Corinth is trying to be impressive because they don't care about you. They care that they, you like their YouTube video and subscribed and commented, right? <laughs> Documentary.com. Um, they care about what you've done for them. Paul's saying, you've missed it. Reread chapter 13. It's how you love and serve others. I said the point a few weeks ago. If serving is beneath you, then satisfaction is beyond you. So what he's saying here is don't try to be so... Don't try to sound so cool. The gospel is plain. God loves you. You have sinned. You have fallen short of the glory of God. But guess what? Jesus paid for your sins. Believe in him and repent. Done. But we try to do like, oh, but the uh, perpetuational atonement is the, uh, uh, you know. No, just shut up. You know, like, just tell them God loves them. Now, do I love theology? Boy, you bet. But sometimes five-year-olds don't understand propitiation. So I got to say other words. What we're going to be doing, uh, we just finished up our leadership workshop. I thought it was incredible. Casey, you missed out. Um, but we're so glad you're back. Uh, she was in camp. Oh, I'm so sorry I'm doing this. Okay. Um, but da -da -da. now, 
This fall, we're going to offer, not to as many people, but we're going to offer a communication workshop. Something that I'm very passionate about is how can we communicate to people in a way that's effective. So we're going to take four to six weeks. I haven't fully figured that part out yet. We're hoping to get at least eight to ten of you, kind of do a small round table, and walk through what does it look like to communicate in a way that's effective. So for some of you, it's public speaking. I want to help you with public speaking. Others of you, it's just leading a group or even one-on-one. Communication is huge, but communication one one is make it simple, stupid. Seriously, make it simple, stupid, because the gospel is so powerful, but what's so incredible, it's simple at the same time. That's when you know you're onto something. Man, is this like my version of tongues? Like, I don't get it, you know? Okay, unintelligible, weird noises. Okay, I am so sorry. This is why I go through great pains to make the gospel plain. This is why I try to make sticky statements, things that you remember. There's so many different ways. I am also convicted, though, that there's times where I'm like, okay, I put up a point, and I was just trying to sound clever. made no sense, and nobody was edified, but I thought it was cool. So I'm really working on that as well. Now, I love verse 15 because it's kind of the heart of this whole thing. In verse 15, it says, What then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the Spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise... Am I in the wrong situation? Okay. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. In other words, what is the outcome here? I love verse 15. What then? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you communicating the way you're communicating? Why are you serving the way that you're serving? What is the outcome? Are you saying these things to to help be a blessing? So in other words, why do I teach the way that I teach? Hopefully it's so people understand. Why do you play your instrument the way you're playing your instrument? Hopefully it's so people can understand. We have a way of making our gifts more complicated than they need to be. When we make our gifts complicated... It shuts out certain people from walking in these doors. And I believe here, he's not just referring to the gift of prophecy teaching as a way of saying, don't make that complicated, but have we made our hospitality complicated? In other words, are we only hospitable to certain people if they wear a certain thing and if they look like a certain type of person? We're complicating it. God, doesn't, God says love everyone and be hospitable to everyone. So why are we making certain things complicated? We need to constantly say, how can we make this simple? And how can we make sure everyone, everyone is being built up? And so we as a church need to say, what is our culture struggling with? And how do we as a church welcome and love those types of people into our church? That's the heartbeat of what he's saying here. I love verse 18 and 19. He goes on and he says, um, I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you. He's saying, dude, I got the, I got the greatest gift of all. I can speak tongues. That's not the point. Is there anything else I can do? No, I think it's, going out. it's going out. Fantastic. Oh, cool. So if you want to pass the offering plate. No, okay. So verse 19. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. Everything we do as a church needs to be about others. That is actually the greatest way we can build ourselves up. Now, verse 20. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil, 
an adult in your thinking. In other words, be innocent to the evil things, but still be mature in how you process things. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues, by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in other tongues then is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church assembles together and are all speaking in other tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Like how awkward is that? Like wh- whoa, why did I come in here? Verse 24, but if all are prophesying and some unbeliever outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secret of his heart will be revealed and as a result, this is, we pray for this every single week, he will fall face down and worship God proclaiming, God really is among you. That's the heart of it. Everything we do at our church, we want to always be edifying and evangelizing, building up those who are believers, but also making ways, pathways for people to understand and believe in King Jesus, those who are unbelievers. Now, I'm going to close this like this. I want you to imagine, though, Corinth was crushed. Like, there were people in the church of Corinth that were they their whole identity when they came to church they were excited to come to church because they spoke in tongues because everything they did in all of their life was about being impressive and about getting complimented and i really think our culture is all like that i'm like that everything i do is oh i want to impress people and i want to do i need to do a handheld okay better watch out this is where church oh wow Church with tongues, speak tongues, they use mics, okay? So let's see what happens. All right. I like this sound better. Okay. All right. Lord be with us. Now, in Corinth, they wanted to be impressive. They, they, they desperately wanted to be complimented. And so this was a crush for the church in Corinth. They, they were thinking, Paul, Paul, you're just trying to choke our creativity. You don't understand us. We're, we're speaking in tongues for a reason and for a purpose. We're doing all these things to be impressive. You, you don't get it, Paul. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. I'm trying to help you. And I'm trying to show, and I really hope that this is helpful for us as well. And reflecting on this really hit me on the head. Would I be excited if Paul was writing this letter to me and telling me, hey, you're, you're trying to do too many things. You're, you're trying to sound too impressive. And so I was, I was praying, how do I, how do I end this thing? And I was actually drawn back this week to the story of Joseph. You guys know Joseph, the coat with many colors? That guy, he's, I'm a fan. So it's in Genesis. Reading this story, I was reading it over and over, and something that's really interesting. For, for us, when we read the Bible, we really fall into thinking that every single person in the Bible is perfect. They're not. Like Joseph is a, is a perfect example. What, what happened to Joseph? And I think, again, I want us to see how this ties in with Corinth because this, there's so much similarities. Joseph was young. He was 17 years old. He was almost the youngest child, and in the patriarchal system in these days, man, if you're the youngest, you don't talk. But what did he do? He got a dream, and he told his brothers the dream. That was step one. That's what he did wrong. But here's what he did. He told everybody, he says, hey, I had a dream, and you guys will all bow down around me and worship me. Kill him. You know, and so they literally threw him in a well and literally almost killed him. Now, when I used to read this story, it's like, those brothers, they're so evil. No, he was just really stupid. Why would you, especially in this ancient Near East culture? See, a lot of times when we receive a dream, we kind of misinterpret what God is trying to show us, especially when we're young and immature. And here in Corinth, 
Paul is frustrated because he knows Corinth has incredible dreams that God has given them, but they're misinterpreting those dreams because they're immature, and they're saying, nah, 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 God loves me better than you, and he's like, no, you've missed the whole point, just how Joseph missed the whole point as well. And I was actually thinking through it, and I realized, wow, I was this. When I was 13, I surrendered my life to ministries, and I did not like me, not looking back at it now. I told everybody, I'm the next Billy Graham, hi. You know, it is the most obnoxious thing ever, but when we're young and immature and God gives us a dream, we just think it's all about being impressive. Compliment me. I'm incredible. Um, And so it's just plain stupid. But what I love about the story of Joseph is years go by, Many trials come. He gets thrown into jail, gets thrown into prison. But something changes along the way. And this is what I'm praying that happens for all of us. Joseph stops saying, here is my dream. And what does he start doing? He starts asking others, what is your dream? You notice that? With the, with the baker, he, he says, what is your dream? Maybe I can interpret it. Through years of maturing, most believe is 15-year process before he goes and actually feeds his brothers, he stopped, he realizes, my dream isn't about me. And he realizes that maturity is about making it about others. And so what we have 15 years later, Joseph's dream comes true. But what I love is it looks dramatically different than the way Joseph described it when he was 17. He said, look, uh, you're going to be a right, you're going to serve me. What, what happens? We know that Joseph got high in status, right? And I'm not trying to rehash the whole story, but then he has enough food to where when his brothers come, even though they don't know it's Joseph, he's able to feed his whole family. So in a sense, yes, the brothers are, are bowing down to him. But in reality, Joseph thought all the brothers would serve him. But the dream was actually about Joseph serving his brothers. And Paul is saying that to Corinth, saying, Corinth, you think you're going to be put on this pedestal. You're going to have influence, but it's not so that other people serve you. It's so that you can serve others. And this is the heartbeat, I believe, of this passage. See, we believe in the culture today that dreaming is all about self-discovery. But what the gospel says, dreaming is all about self-denial. It's not about discovering who you're great. No, it's discovering how you can put yourself aside to make much of other people. Here's the big thing I want you to write down. I want you to remember this. God will do what he can do when you realize your dream is not about you. We have, we have this great dream, and it's so fantastic. You're going to change the world. Awesome. God will provide miraculous works when you finally get to the point of realizing, wow, God, you will do what only you can do the moment I realize this dream is not about me. It's about others. And that is the gospel truth, and I love as the music can come up. Here is the essential. Jesus Christ is our perfect example. Jesus could have spoken any language. Jesus could have been the most impressive of all. He was fully God, fully man, but he came onto earth as a slave and he died in our place. What I love about this is he could have been the most interesting, self-interested, self-discovering person on the planet. He could have been whatever he wanted to be. He could have worshiped himself and that would have been totally okay because he's right to do so. But he knows the dream is actually always about building others up. And that is how you can build yourself up. And so I want to extend this gospel uh, invitation to you. Realize Jesus died on the cross for you 
so that you can believe in him, but then realize, oh my goodness, my life is actually about building up others. So we ask God, God, if sometimes in the context, if this means we speak in tongues to to help edify, Lord, let it be. But God, I'd rather speak five words in clarity than if people were confused. But I want the heartbeat of our church, and I think this passage is saying this, we have to get over ourselves and realize how much joy and freedom there is when we get there. God, can we be that church?